Welcome to All Along the Wasatch, a public affairs program produced by Bonneville Salt Lake City. If you would like to submit a request to be on the show, please email mparsons at ksl.com. Now, here's the host of All Along the Wasatch, Mike Parsons. My guests today are from Community Animal Welfare Society, better known as CAWS, C-A-W-S, and the website is CAWS.org. Di Lewis is a volunteer cat foster and a board member. Di, how are you? Doing well, thank you. How are you? Doing great. And you just had um, a vet emergency, so I'm glad. Hopefully everything's okay. <laughs> I did. I just had a kitten whose spay incision was acting up, but I think we're good to go now. All part of being a foster, right? It is indeed. <laughs> <laughs> and Tiffany Henline, who is a dog foster volunteer for Cause. Tiffany, let's start with you. Maybe just tell us how you became involved with Cause. These are always good stories. We all have a good story. <laughs> About eight years ago, I had one of my senior giant breed dogs that had to be put down, just was too old. And I had a friend that was a volunteer for Cause reach out and said, Hey, I know it's kind of soon, but we actually have another giant breed senior dog in our rescue group. And that's a tough that's a tough order to fill and wondered if you might be interested. And I said, well, I don't know how I can say no to that. <laughs> and that was the beginning. <laughs> and now me. do you still have that animal? I don't. She oh. was pretty old when we got her, but she lived for a couple of years with us. Uh, but it was such a really great experience for me to realize that I'm just a normal everyday person and that I could join up forces with a lot of really other amazing people and make some big changes for these animals. I've always wanted to do that. So that was my opportunity. And I just jumped in with both feet. So. And Di, you're a cat foster. How did you become involved with cause? Yeah, I, uh, I used to have a rule from my husband where he only wanted us to have as many cats as we had bedrooms. Aha. And then we moved and then we moved into a house with four bedrooms out of our apartment with two bedrooms. And so I started fostering <laughs> Uh, I think we've surpassed that rule by now, um, given that I have five fosters and one cat of my own. So um, (laughs) I just ran into cause at an event. One of the volunteers was there and they seemed like a great organization. So I signed up about four years ago and then obviously have just become deeper and deeper involved over time, joining the board about a year and a half ago. So I'm a dog lover and my wife is a cat lover. So we have an agreement that we have to have an equal number. We currently have two dogs (laughs) and two cats, all four rescues. Um, but, uh, yeah, if one of us wants to get one more dog or cat, then the other person gets one too. So that, that's kind of our way of naturally controlling that. Um, I like that. T- that seems like a great I'm rule. See if I yeah, can that's implement good. that. Yeah. <laughs> so Tiffany, uh, kind of explain the model. I, there's a lot of rescues that kind of follow the same model. Can you just kind of explain how it works? We work together as volunteers. We all have our own little spe- special niche that we, you know, like whether it be dogs or cats transporting, fostering, uh, but but we find our place, um, and then we work closely with our local shelters to keep an eye out for animals that, that need help, that need to be out of the shelter system um, and into a foster home, and then we bring them into our homes. So our cat fosters and our dog fosters, we don't have a facility. Uh, we're a foster-based program, so we bring these animals home with us, and incorporate them into our daily lives and help them with whatever their needs may be. Sometimes it's medical, sometimes it's pretty simple, just they need to be fixed and vaccinated so that we can set them on the right path. 
Um, sometimes they have fears or behavioral issues always caused by the previous people in their lives. <laughs> yeah. And we just take some time to kind of build their confidence, learn about them, and then we make them available for adoption. And they're put up on our website and everybody can apply. Uh, we review applications and we really prioritize not on a first come first serve basis, but rather with what's going to be the best fit for this animal. Mm. And I, um, obviously you're, you're both volunteers, so you're not paid for this, but does cause actually take care of any expenses that that animal needs initially? Yeah, absolutely. So many of our fosters will pay for some of the basics like food, or if you're a cat foster litter as well, that kind of thing. Um, but cause covers all veterinary care. If an animal maybe needs um, more specialized training, like Tiff mentioned, sometimes they have some fear or reactivity issues that they need to be worked through, working through. Um, we would pay for like a trainer or something like that. I know that there are you know, animals that come into our rescue that just have a variety of needs, and that could be anything from, um, you know, I know that we've had animals who've gotten acupuncture before mm. to a surgery to um, maybe bottle feeding, like if the mama couldn't be found or um, passed away or something like that. So we cover a variety of needs, but yes, cause financially covers all of the um, specialized like veterinary and um, other care like that. And Tiffany, where do these animals come from? You mentioned shelters, but that's probably not the only place. I would say the vast majority of our animals do come from our Utah shelters. Um, we do consider owner surrenders. Uh, oftentimes there's, you know, unfortunately a death in the family, which leaves a displaced animal mm. and an extended family that may not be able to, may not want to continue caring for the animal. So in cases like that, that's considered an owner surrender, but the animal really is desperate for a new setup. Mm -hmm. So so we step in and bridge the gap between, you know, the situation they're in that's not not serving them well, and we bring them into our rescue group, uh, foster homes, of course, get them any medical that they might need, and then work to find them their next new home. And I know because I've gone through the process with, with my own animals from rescue groups, and, and we have a cat from Cause. Um, uh, the dog that I have is the most recent one from Rescue Rovers, another great local group. Um, so I know that it's pretty extensive as far as trying to make that match work, but Di, what happens if for some reason it just doesn't work? That's bound to happen at, at some point, right? It definitely does happen. Um, obviously, we want every animal to work out, and we do our best to make sure that that um, can be a good fit long term, but life happens like, you know, deaths in the family, job changes, that kind of thing. I actually, from my very first litter that I fostered, um, two of them got returned right at the beginning of COVID because their owners lost their housing um, due to, you know, all of the disruption in the economy at that time. And Cause has a commitment to every single animal that we adopt out that we will take that animal back in. And in fact, it's in the contracts that we sign with our adopters that they will always contact us to return the animal mm. um, if for any reason they can't keep them, even if it's an elective reason or if it's an unfortunate, you know, like a medical reason or something like that. I think that's a great policy that they, they come back to Cause to get a, a fresh start again. Where does the money primarily come from? I was going to say our funding comes from a variety of sources, but probably the three main ones would be um, donations, adoption fees, and grants. Um, primarily, the you know the adoption fees for cats uh, don't cover much more than their spay, neuter, um, and vaccinations. 
Um, I think the dogs we maybe make a little bit off of, but even then, not as much. Right now, the cost of veterinary care rising even for rescues. So we really try to make sure that we're doing the best for our animals um, and getting them the best care possible that way. And then we do have some grant writers who are volunteers who help us look for grants from people like PetSmart Charities and other organizations that offer these grants to animal welfare, welfare organizations. And then the other big chunk would be donations. Um, we do individual fundraisers throughout the year if an animal has higher medical needs that they need special care for. Um, but we also run big fundraisers a few times throughout the year, including one that we're running right now called Strut Your Mutt. Mm-hmm. And that does help bring in quite a bit of money for us as well. Uh, Tiffany, how many animals does cause help every year? Well, that varies from year to year, but it seems as though each year we, we manage to stretch ourselves just a little bit further. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but I would say on average, we're, we're around about 1,200 animals per year. That's cats and dogs combined. That's huge. Mm-hmm. And Di, being a cat expert, and I, I just uh, dubbed you that, you're a cat expert. This, uh, I will try. <laughs> this uh, community cats program that Cause is involved with fascinates me. Tell us about community cats. Yeah, so community cats are what some other people might be more familiar with as feral cats. So they are cats who have just never been socialized well enough to be comfortable around humans as a house pet. Um, But we obviously still feel like their lives are valuable. We don't want to see community cats just euthanized for the crime of existing Mm -hmm. and not liking people very much. (laughs) So um, what we do is we run TNVR programs, Trap, Neuter, Vaccinate, Return, where if a cat isn't social enough to live with people, we still don't want to make, we still want to make sure that they're not having babies and increasing that population um, and causing just a a ton of stray cats out there. So we will trap them, um, get them fixed, vaccinate them, and then return them to where they came from so they can live out with their colony. Um, We also do occasionally medical care for those community cats as well. We have some really great people who take care of their own colonies, and so they'll keep an eye out if a cat looks like maybe it got in a really bad fight and needs some antibiotics or broke its leg or something Mm -hmm. like that. We can occasionally help those caretakers out um, by providing medical care to community cats as well. Tiffany, let's talk about each of the different ways that people can help cause. Um, Adoption is the biggest thing. Um, How does that work? I go to cause.org and I find the the pet that I want, and and then what do I do? So um, our website is the primary source for the information on our available dogs and cats, cause.org is the website. Uh, it's pretty user-friendly, so you can see, you know, the different areas that you can explore. But available dogs and cats, that's, that's where you can find their photos, their information about what their likes and dislikes are, age, um, what skills they might have, what skills they could use some help with. And then at the very bottom of the, you know, carefully crafted biography we've written for each animal you can click on the apply the apply button is right there and it'll pop up our application which can be filled out online and shoots that to our appropriate teams for review Um, and if it passes through that first initial checkpoint then on to the foster home it goes one thing that's really great about cause something that i love is that our fosters are volunteering their time to help these animals. They're, you know, giving giving their time and their space and their resources to help them have a better chance. And so we want to give them back the opportunity to choose the best home for those animals. So we don't dictate necessarily where they go. There's some things that we require 
Uh, we don't want our dogs to live outside. We don't want our cats to live outside. We want them to be loved family members. So mm-hmm. certain things, we have certain criteria that as a res- rescue group we feel is really important in our screening process. Um, but ultimately, once they pass through that, our foster families get to select um, which home is going to be best for the, ki- the animal that they're caring for. I think that's pretty cool. I love that. And from an adoption standpoint, we've my, my family, we've adopted several from rescue groups. And what I love is that you know so much about the animal uh, from the foster where if you go to a shelter or a breeder, they might say, you know, I don't really know anything about this dog. But the animals we've adopted, we've had a full description of, of their strengths and weaknesses and what they like and what they don't like. And I think that that's actually a very big upside to adopting from rescues. A lot of our fosters are, you know, because they're so invested in making sure that the animals are in a home that's right for them. Um, They'll help you work through any bumps uh, as the animal gets into your home and is settling in and getting to know your life because it can take, you know, weeks to a couple of months for an animal to fully settle in and feel relaxed in your home. So I've had adopters who said, hey, he's doing this or he's hiding um, when I do X, Y, Z. What do you what would you recommend? And Mm -hmm. we work through those issues together. And then I get the updates a couple weeks later with the cute pictures of, you know, my cats cuddling with their kids or the cat sitting in the windowsill or something like that. And it's just great to know that we can really, because of how well we know the animals, um, that we can really help them have a smoother transition to their new home. Well, here's a question for both of you. Um, How do you foster? My wife and I fostered a puppy that was missing a paw, and 11 years later, we still have him. He's the only animal we've ever fostered, so we're foster failures. How do you deal with that, getting so attached to them, which you have to, and then letting them go? Well, I will start by saying Di is probably better at letting them go than me because based on her head count, I'm already losing the score. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think at the end, initially it's a bit tough because it's exciting, it's exhilarating, you're finally here, you finally get to help, and you really love this animal, and oh gosh, Am I going to be am I going to be upset if I let it leave? Um, and so, admittedly, I adopted my first foster. <laughs> um, I've had many, 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 many more since then, and my criteria for being able to stay now is a very, very long list mm-hmm. in order in order to kind of keep me in check because it is really easy to want to keep all of them. Um, the, the most important thing. Uh, for us is just that we have to keep turning them out and finding families that can provide for them maybe even better than we think we can. And that makes, that's a little, that that's quite a bit of peace right there to just yeah. say, I love this animal enough to know that if I, if I hand them off to this fabulous adopter, that they're going to be able to provide better or do better than maybe even I can. Uh, and then that opens up a spot for me to go right. save another animal just like that one. And that's where you get us right there. If we can turn them out, then we can go save more. And there's always going to be more. And I love that one time when we adopted a dog, the foster told us that very idea. Hey, you've actually saved two dogs because you're taking one and now I've got an open spot. And I love that idea. Di, what are the... What, what, is there a big need for fosters? Is that something that's that's always needed? Yes, we always need fosters. I mean, there's there's going to naturally be turnover as people move, maybe as their jobs change, or as people foster fail too much. We've occasionally had <laughs> fosters uh, drop out because they've adopted too many of their own fosters. Um, so, yes, we always need more people, uh, especially, I think, because sometimes we have animals, for example, 
I fostered a couple of cats who didn't get along with other cats and having fosters who maybe don't have other pets in their home or, or they have an open basement with no other pets in it so that they can take in an animal who has a little bit more specialized um, needs like that is really, really valuable because so many people, you know, like myself, like Tiff, um, have multiple fosters and multiple animals. So it's kind of more difficult to take those animals on. So we always need people who can do that or even who can step in when our fosters go on vacation and can just temporarily foster for a week or two. Oh, I like that idea of just being a temporary foster. That's not as big of a commitment. So donations is the is important way for somebody who's maybe got a house full of pets and can't foster, can't adopt. And I love there's a couple of uh, things on your website. $25 will help spay and neuter a cat. $100 will spay and neuter a dog. So giving those amounts every month, you know that you're making a difference. Um, and I looked on your website, and there's definitely an easy way to, to sign up for those reoccurring uh, donations. The fourth area is volunteering. What kind of opportunities are there to volunteer? We've talked about maybe filling in for a foster. What else do you need? Fostering is definitely the biggest way to volunteer, but we also do adoption events uh, one to three times a month, kind of just depending on what that month looks like. And we need help setting up those adoption events, putting up cages, towers, um, and then taking those adoption events down. It's really time consuming. And for a long time, we've had the same people doing those events and it becomes, um, you know, just difficult for the same people to, to do that every um, you know, one to two weeks. So having other people who can help with that is always great. Um, we also have other communication needs, for example, answering emails, helping with social media, um, that kind of thing. Walking dogs during the events uh, are also other great ways to get involved. And then we also have a few outreach events um, throughout the year where we don't necessarily have adoptable animals there. We're just helping people understand more about who we are, what we do, and have somebody who can kind of just speak a little bit more about our mission and get to know people and help them know what we do. And I know transport is also something that you need from time to time. I, I oh, yes. remember going to, to oh rescue. Oh my gosh, how a, did I forget that? <laughs> I, I, I remember going to rescue a Chihuahua in Brigham City for cause, and he was, let's say it this way, not the most attractive dog I've ever seen, but by the time we'd spent that time in the car, we had bonded. Well, and I'm actually over in eastern Utah. I'm in Vernal. Uh-huh. So our outer lying shelters, tend to fill up quick and then have substantially less support in the way of people willing to transport because we're hours away from the city. Mm-hmm. Um, so transport's a huge thing. Uh, there's a handful of Facebook transport pages that are specific to Utah, for example. Um, and if somebody really wanted to get involved in the way of, hey, you know, I travel this road regularly, I'm happy to bring back, you know, I've got room for three or four cats or one or two dogs. Um, We are always looking for rides because our shelters are always asking for help. So it is our objective to, to stay focused on these full shelters and support these shelter employees who are working so hard for these animals. But if we can't move them out of there, we're all just sitting ducks with lots of good intentions. A lot of people, I remember during the pandemic, seeing the news stories about how adoptions were up, people were adopting animals because they were home. And even at the time, I thought, well, that's really great, but what's going to happen after the pandemic? Have you seen any kind of, is there an increase in in, um, surrenders as a result of that? That's an understatement. Oh, no. Yeah, we've we've been pummeled. Our shelters and all of our rescue groups are just full. Um, Another big issue in addition to all of the adoptions that occurred during the pandemic was that everybody just stayed home. So I'll speak for dogs 
specifically because cats are happy if you'll just leave them at home. (laughs) (laughs) But for our puppies that were adopted during that time, they didn't go to training. They didn't meet new people. They didn't meet new dogs. Uh. It's extremely crucial for these young dogs to be socializing and going places and meeting new people and having opportunities to meet other dogs in order to Uh be really balanced and rounded and so what's happening is we're getting all of these really under socialized fearful adults one-year-old two-year-old dogs back now uh, because people had to go back to work and or their financial situation didn't improve and housing is tough right now we all know that but in addition to that uh, rental prices are through the roof and people are just a whole lot less willing to provide housing to people so if anyone's listening we could <laughs> really use some rentals that allow respectful pets <laughs> that is good to know i hate that i was right about that die what are some common misconceptions around adopting animals from a rescue group like cause yeah i think a lot of people you know there's a little bit of this image of them being less than or broken or whatever and i think uh, you know that's really not true and especially Uh, For the animals that we see that are in foster homes, some of them might have uh, certain specific needs, like, you know, Tiffany mentioned, some may have some reactivity that we work through with training. Um, We certainly don't see those dogs as broken, for example, but um, many of our animals are healthy, happy, loved. They have no medical issues, no behavioral issues, um, and they simply, through no fault of their own, found themselves without a family. Uh, either the family's housing situation changed, um, family situation changed. Sometimes people have a baby, and uh, that baby turns out to be allergic to cats. Mm. I have unfortunately seen that happen. Um, and so there are a lot of really wonderful animals that are in shelters or in rescues who uh, you know, don't have any issues. We don't see these rescue animals as you know, misfits, for example, they're really wonderful, loved animals who are simply, um, you know, needing a new home for through no fault of their own. What about somebody who says, well, I want a very specific kind of dog, so I'm going to need to go to a breeder. That dog is not going to be at one of these rescues. Oh, certainly not. not. Usually. That was all sarcasm. There's tons <laughs> of purebreds. <laughs> we have tons of purebreds in rescue. Absolutely. Um, Probably one out of four, probably 20 to 25 percent of the dogs um, are desirable breeds. Um, So that's definitely not true. Um, The one thing I would say to anybody that's being, you know, particular about a breed is that um, I I have a couple that are purebred. They came from shelters. Uh, but in addition to that, I find that my precious little mutts are far healthier. <laughs> that is true. There, that is very true. Well, I'm a big proponent of adopt, don't shop. And I, I wish that we had stricter laws around dog breeding, but that's a whole nother show. Um, let's talk about Strut Your Mutt. Who wants to talk about Strut Your Mutt how, and how it works? So Strut Your Mutt, oh, this is a really great platform for us. It has been for many, many years. Uh This is put on by Best Friends, and they do a really great job, and we're very thankful for the opportunity to be able to utilize this platform to fundraise for our rescue group. Lots of rescue groups take advantage of it. Um, But what's wonderful about it is that all of our volunteers and our supporters and our adopters can sign up to 
strut your mutt, right? Not it's it's a it's a virtual fundraiser, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they can share their story, the story of their adoption, the story of their fostering, and and just share with share with their their social connections why they love rescue, why they love cause specifically. And, um, and we work really hard from June until October to raise as much money as we can uh, because we bring in a lot of animals and not always do we have an adoption fee to cover the medical that they need. And so this is kind of our golden goose that we can take a chance on those dogs that have more medical or those cats that need a little bit more extensive care than just a spay or neuter. And it gives us the freedom to really be able to stretch a little bit further than just basic care and and take some of these animals from the shelter when they are most desperate. So Strut Your Mutt is a fundraising platform. We sign up. We get all sorts of fun swag as we raise money. It collectively goes into one pot, and it all goes to cause. So when you see somebody fundraising, they're not personally getting the money. The money is going to whatever rescue group of their choice. We think cause is the best, of course. (laughs) Um, So we're working towards that. And then on October 15th, we have this great big celebration that includes a dog walk in the park. Um, It's obviously, uh, it it, it seems very dog forward, but our rescue group is both dog and cat focused. And so um, our our cat fosters, our cat team, our dog fosters, and our dog team and our volunteers are all fundraising because we are one big group. And to find out more information about Strut Your Mutt, if you go to cause.org, right there on the homepage, there's a link that will take you right to the Strut Your Mutt event. Di Lewis and Tiffany Henline, both volunteers with Cause Community Animal Welfare Society, and again, the website, cause, C-A-W-S dot org. Ladies, thank you so much for what you're doing in our community. Thanks for helping us share it. We appreciate it. Thank you for listening to All Along the Wasatch with Mike Parsons. If you would like to submit a request to be a guest on the show, please email mparsons at ksl.com. That's mparsons at ksl.com.